1: Well, what's going on Hokey Nation? Happy Wednesday afternoon, boy. It's always fun when you go ahead and beat the Wahoos. Virginia Tech men's basketball coming off the heels of a big win. Virginia Tech women's basketball a big win as well with a big one coming up on Sunday. Baseball, softball, wrestling, they're all in full effect and we're here to tell you all about it. It's episode 349 of the Tech Sideline podcast and it starts right now. <laughs> recording on Wednesday, February 21st, 2024, from our studio at the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Remember to like, subscribe, and refer the show to a friend, and head over to techsideline.com and check out our extensive editorial content. As always, the first month of subscriptions is free. I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. Across the way, our senior staff writer, Mr. Andy Bitter. To my right, lead analyst and columnist, Chris Coleman. And then The man, the myth, the legend himself. Will Stewart back on the camera uh, for 349 of the Tech Sideline podcast. David will swap on in once we get deep into our basketball conversation. But first, it's time to tell you that the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. The Tech Sideline podcast is also brought to you by Coldwell Banker Townside Realtors, trusted real estate services for the Roanoke and New River Valleys of Virginia. If you're in the market to purchase or sell a residential property or looking for land or investment property, Property in Southwest Virginia. We have you covered. With three offices in the area, we serve Blacksburg, Christiansburg, Radford, Roanoke, Salem, Vinton, Smith Mountain Lake, and all of the surrounding areas. Visit CBTownside.com to learn more. As always, we start our show today by talking a little bit of football. You guys had Brent Pry on on Monday uh, to kick off the week. What was that like? And what were some big takeaways from that? We'll kind of go round robin here. We'll start with Chris.
0: I think, uh, He's very good in that setting. He always has been, so he always comes across well to the fan base. Uh, You know, he's a good communicator. I think what always stands out to me when talking to Brent Pry on on the podcast podcast is, like, I I think his ideas about player development and program development match up with what works at Virginia Tech. So I, I think that's a good marriage between school and head coach and his philosophies. That's generally what always stands out to me whenever we get him to come on the podcast and talk big picture stuff.
1: Nice hat, by the way, Chris. That's, uh, that, you know, that's, we can, we whole, can plug that thing, right yeah. there. What do you got,
2: Andy? Uh, I think what stood out to me was uh, how little stood out. <laughs> uh, and that's not to like be oh that was a bad interview or anything like that but you go into this offseason and, and sort of continuity is the big word around Virginia Tech all the entire coaching staff is back uh, most of the roster is back all the major players there. A quarterback is back I mean think about what we're talking about usually at this time or have been talking about at Virginia Tech it's what's the quarterback battle gonna be like in the spring who's gonna emerge from that they know who the quarterback is going in, I mean, in fact we shifted that conversation to the backup quarterback, uh, which redshirt freshman is gonna be able to win that job. So um yeah, you know, I, I think that was sort of uh you know, the theme of what he was talking about when he was was speaking to us was You know, everybody's back pretty much. Uh, The coaching staff is back. You're not, you know, bringing Ron Crook in five minutes before spring ball starts on the offensive line. We talked to Ron Crook this week. He's like, it's good to know the offense before you actually go out there and try to coach the offense. That's a big deal. Uh, So everybody's back. Everybody's uh, been through the experience of last year. He talked about sort of the shared experience of the struggles that they had earlier in the season and the bond that that creates sort of getting over that hump and through that. Uh, you know, I think it's just building on that from last year and, uh, you know, the other part is, you know, he talked about expectations and, you know, he mentioned, uh, you know, people talk about 10 wins like that's noise. Top 25, that's noise. Kyron Drone's not being a, uh, one of the top returning quarterbacks in the country. That's noise uh, that other people saying he's not one of the top ones that would be uh, outside noise. And he he pointed it back to last year where he's like, you know, when they were one in three, I was telling them that it was noise, too. So if they believe me, then they have to believe me now. And it's just sort of blocking that out, doing the work to, to advance this program and, you know, do better than seven and six.
1: Well, you were there for that interview. Of course you, you led that show. Uh, what, what were your takeaways with coach pry?
3: It's the first time I'd gotten to talk to him in a while. You know, the, these guys uh, cover him a lot closer than I do. And uh, so by my nature, I tend to answer uh, to ask bigger picture questions. And um, Andy alluded to this just now, but so, One of the things I asked him was in the, in the wake of that Marshall game, you were four and 11 at tech at that point in your career here. Um, And I know that, that for everybody else, everybody else was looking at the program as a whole and taking inventory of, of everything. And so I kind of asked him, you know, did, did you have any doubts at that point in time that what you were doing at tech was, was the right thing to do? He did not answer the big picture question. He talked specifically about that Marshall game and you know, uh so he he spoke to the one game and that's a look into the mindset of coaches and players that when they say they take it one at a time and they focus on getting better today and what can we do to improve today that's absolutely right that's how they think you know so it was interesting i tried to rope him into the bigger picture picture question and he wouldn't go for it because he doesn't think that way
0: see i came out of that thinking he didn't understand your question mm-hmm. that he thought you were just talking about the marshall game because it was, was kind of a long question and i think maybe he forgot the first part of it
3: Well, so, so the, the, the first question I asked you, right, it was long, but I came back later and I asked a shorter question Mm. that was. Yeah, that's the one I was talking about, but 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 I, my impression was like, he didn't quite grasp what you were asking. That said, he didn't grasp what I was asking because he doesn't think that (laughs) way. So so the other thing was, and, and Andy gave some of these quotes, um, I did ask him and it's a it's a softball question and you can predict the answer about I said you know you're going into 2024 and you've got high expectations now everybody's saying 10 wins and things like that. how do you deal with it? And most coaches will say, oh we just show up for work every day try to get better blah blah blah. Um, but he he did, as Andy spoke about, he equated the positive noise to negative noise that that and it's all just noise. And he, he said that he told his guys um, af- after that Marshall game, uh, just shut out the noise. We're doing the right things. And he said, and I turned out to be right, so they believe me. So now when he tells them, shut out all the positive stuff, they'll listen to him and believe him. So after having a day or two to think about it, that that was kind of my thought on interacting with him.
1: Anything from a personnel standpoint that, that Coach Pry brought up that maybe surprised you a little bit?
0: Uh, not necessarily surprising, but uh, you know Strowman's going to be out this spring. And there's... We need to know who Virginia Tech's other starting safety is going to be. So they're, they're going to get a good, hard look at all those guys, um, whether it's Jalen Jones, Most Phillips, or, or some or the backups. Uh, not only do they need to find a second starter, they also need to figure out what their depth is going to be. With Stroman being out, yeah, you'd prefer to have him, but at the same time, he's a senior he knows what he's doing out there. Spring practice is less important for him than it is the younger guys. So with him being out, they're going to be able to take an even longer look at some of those other safeties and, and figure it out. And and I, I always believe this, and, and you know Pry confirmed it. But Stroman is a versatile player who can play either safety spot. So they've got some versatility there. Like if they feel like most Phillips is the better second safety, then they can play Stroman at free safety. If they feel like Jalen Jones is the better second safety, then they can play him at free safety, and and then they can continue to play Strowman at the boundary safety. So he provides versatility there, and then there's going to be enough reps to go around this spring where you can get a really good view of of those other competitors for that spot.
2: Yeah, I I thought uh, safety is one spot that there's really more questions at than any other position on the team, I think. Uh, And the way Pry talked about Jalen Jones I thought was kind of surprising. He really backed him in uh, those interviews set in here on the podcast, set it out there. When I talked to him afterwards, you know, came back to that point about, you know, you saw the athleticism, you saw how he runs in the alley and stuff. And the way he was talking about this player, I'm like, that didn't really match my eye test from what I was seeing last year. Now I will defer the football, you know, projections to the football coach in this whole thing. I think he would have a better idea uh, than we would of what the, you know, the, the ceiling is for a player like that. But uh, for me, looking at this roster, I go in and they go, you know, the other safety spot is really a big question mark. And maybe it sounds like it's less of a question mark to them. If they think Jalen Jones will continue to come around uh, and be that guy. I mean, I came away from the, those interviews thinking that the starters would be Stroman and Jalen Jones. At the, at the safety spots, where I think if I did my projection a couple of weeks ago with the, the depth chart. I put Moe's Phillips up there as the number one guy. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, with Stroman out, you can you can give first-team reps to you know Jones at uh, free and and Moe's Phillips at the boundary in the spring and just see how they develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to make any decisions on that thing right now. But I think that's one interesting position to watch going forward. And in the spring, you can actually play left and right safeties. So you can get a look at everybody
0: at both safety positions uh, because you're not preparing for the next opponent or anything like that. That's one of the things Torian Gray used to like to do. There was no free safety in Rover in the spring. It was left safety and right
2: safety, safety. so you're getting a look at everybody at both positions. And, uh, you know, I'll say it about Jones. I mean, he moved over from the offensive side last year, Uh, so he was brand new to the defensive side. I think he'd done a little bit in high school, but uh, nothing too serious with that. You know, I'm not going to compare him to Caleb Farley necessarily, but they had a situation like that in the past where a guy who was mostly an offensive player throughout his life switched to defense. And that first year, you're like, I just don't see it. I don't know if it's. It's going to click with that guy there. Now, granted, you know, Farley had some moments in like that Florida State game. I think he had two picks in the first game, but then struggled in some other ones uh, the rest of that season. But then comes back in 2019 and, he, you know, you can't throw in his direction, just period. So uh, I'm not saying Jones is going to turn into that type of player, but there's been a history where you make that offense to defense switch where maybe it takes a year to really
3: click. In a general sense, he talked about a a second level of guys that I don't think fans think about very much. We tend to pay attention to returning starters, transfers in, and even to some extent true freshmen. What are the true freshmen going to do? But Coach Pry and the staff, they're excited about guys that have been in the program a year or two who've gotten limited playing time or maybe not any playing time at all. And that's the group they're really excited to bring along in the spring because that's where you get your depth from. You know, so that that was interesting to hear.
1: What guys fall into that category, you think, at this moment in time?
2: I think you look at somebody like, you know, Leith Gannum Yep, on the offensive line. Johnny Garrett's another guy, offensive line. Has, he mentioned He hasn't played a whole lot. Moe's Phillips. Uh, you know, Caleb Woodson is an interesting one. They list him as a, a star linebacker and a will or, well, just plain linebacker, but he'll get some work at the will. Uh, they want to cross train him there, which is interesting because I thought, you know, that was a guy that's like played the star linebacker position, the first guy they'd recruited specifically for that spot. And now they're going, well, he might outgrow that spot physically and be a better will. And, and probably even said he, he thinks he might be a better will long term than a star. So uh, that's an interesting thing to watch. Um uh, I'm trying to think of some, you know, running back, Jeremiah Coney, Coney. would be yeah, interesting was say one Coney, to see. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those receivers, you know, Aiden Green, Chance Fitzgerald, Takai Heath in that second group, Dante Lovett, Braylon Johnson, who's gonna get a little bit of work at safety, uh, from the sounds of it. So uh I mean this is this is the benefit of having so many guys back that you know about on the first team and having these positions. I don't want to say settled, but you're comfortable with those players in those spots as you can really take a longer look at the backup spots. And if those guys come along, you know, the team's better for it.
0: And Gosnell's going to be out at wide receiver, which provides more reps for some of those younger wideouts to take a closer look at them.
1: Well, always fun to uh, have a little bit of football talk. Time to shift gears to... Men's basketball huge win for the Hokies against Virginia 75-41 that was the second largest margin of victory for Virginia Tech over Virginia in the history of the rivalry want to keep Will on set for a second here because there was a buzz inside Castle that had nothing to do with the game. All <laughs> of us TSL that. interns are texting each other, oh, did you see Will and Chris are sitting in front row of the Castle Guard? And everyone's <laughs> texting and sending pictures. And I'm up in the crow's nest, and me and Carter are looking down, and I, I texted you guys and said something about nice seats. So tell us the story. How would you guys end up in the front row of the Castle Guard, and uh, what was that experience like?
3: <laughs> so uh, shout-out to my guy, Nate Stevens. Nate is a sophomore in uh, – I think he's double majoring, uh, he's in finance and I don't remember what the, what the other double major is. And I met Nate when he was in high school. Uh, he went to a private school in, uh, I think down around the Greensboro area, if I remember correctly. Okay. Uh, when he was in high school, I think it was after his junior year, he, he emailed me out of the blue, I'd never met him before. And he said, uh, I go to the school down here and one of the things we have to do is we have to do a senior thesis. So they have a project, it's kind of like a PhD, thing and and so they have a project they work on all senior year long and then they have to get up and and deliver it in front of like this group of adults you know it's it's a very it's actually a very intimidating thing for a for a high school student but anyway he he was he was facing that coming up his senior year in high school and he emailed me out of the blue he said my dad's a subscriber I want to do mine on whether the NCAA is truly nonprofit or whether they're running themselves like a for-profit business he's like would you help me with that? And I actually said, yes. <laughs> he usually me, no, I'm like, no, i don't of the time, you know? So I thought, okay, this might be a good idea to help out a young person. So I worked with him on that project, providing feedback all through his senior year and then went down there when he delivered it and defended it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. And, and Nate and I have kept in touch. Uh, we, we have breakfast together like once a semester or something like that. And, uh, so he's in his sophomore year now and I'm driving into the game the other day, just driving down Blacksburg and, phone in the car rings and and it's Nate. So I answered and I said, Hey, what's going on? And he goes, you want to sit in the front row? And I said, okay, tell me more. You know, he goes I got a couple of seats in the front row of the student section. If you want to come sit with me, I said, who didn't show up that you're calling me now? And he goes, no, it's not like that. So Chris and I wound up down there and we had a lot of fun watching the game and then I get home and on the ESPN broadcast, they show Nate like a couple of pictures of him. And in the first picture he's with, it's Nate and a uh, couple of couple of girls he knows. I can't remember the name of the one, but they're, uh, what's the, is it Catherine White, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Nate is friends with Catherine White. And for those of you who are longtime watchers of the podcast, Catherine White is the sister of Hampton White, who is Malcolm's roommate. Malcolm, the former podcast producer. So it, I don't know how Nate and Catherine know each other, but... So anyway, it was a, it was a trip to get out there, and, and Nate was on ESPN because he showed up at eleven o'clock, a.m. I AM. heard about
1: this. Okay,
3: <laughs> you know, and so he was in in line and in castle for eight hours. Wow, know? and and uh, Corey Alexander came out and took a picture of him, took took a couple pictures of him, and that's how Nate wound up on ESPN. I had no idea that was coming, so it was kind of cool to get home and see somebody I know on ESPN. So yeah, that's how we wound up in the front row, and it is. And, and i'll say one more thing about that and then i'll surrender the mics back to you guys uh, there's some discussion from time to time about can we put the students in a better situation like put them down on the sidelines so you see them on tv and uh, chris has been saying for several years now that no the students like where they are they like being behind the basket and when you're actually down there with them, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on down there. Oh yeah, they are having a blast. And what you need to remember is that, yes, the the opposition is trying to play offense in front of the students in the second half, but the opposition bench is right there in front of the students section, and they are on blast all game long, you know. And and one minor example of that is when UVA comes out after halftime and they're they're you know taking their warm up shots, the students counts the one count. The students count the ones they miss, right? So a UVA player missed a shot one, and they'll make one or two, two, and, and it's just a lot of stuff like that. So we're well beyond wanting to move them somewhere so they look better on TV. Trust me, they have a ball. Right not now. yeah, and I would not,
0: I would embrace that. I would rip yeah. all the seats out. I would put metal bleachers there, just like the North End Zone. Right. Yep. Let them stomp on metal bleachers the whole game. Make it even louder. <laughs> you can even call it the North End Zone at Castle Coliseum right. or whatever. I think it should be embraced. Um, so, yeah, th- they were great seats. Um, I would, That's the second game in a row I've sat in the student section. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to point out that Virginia Tech is 2-0 in those games with an average margin <laughs> of victory of 22 points. So, any students floating around with some extra seats... Let me know because maybe it's the new cheeseburger streak.
3: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> always willing to sit there. So one more thing about Nate. Nate wants to be is it the is it the executive council of Castle Guard that it's called, David? Board. Yeah, executive board. So apparently that's on Cunningham lockdown right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Nate wants to put his hat in the ring for his junior year next year. All
1: right. Well, uh, definitely go ahead and support that. That's pretty awesome that you guys got to stick around there. Let's go ahead and make a switch. Bring D kinda on, bring Will off, uh, and and us us too. While they make the switch, we'll continue this this conversation. Chris, you know, want to keep it focused on this game. Forget the rest of the season. Boy, doesn't it feel good to beat up on that team? Yeah.
0: Um, I, I saw Nick in the concourse before the game, and we were both talking. Yeah, we both thought Tech was going to win. It'd be a close game, five, six, seven points, something like that. But, you know, Tech is 11 and 2 at home, with one of those losses being without Hunter Couture in a really close game. And UVA had won four straight road games, and it's just unlikely that, that you win five straight road games at any point. So I thought Tech was going to win. Tech was favored. Uh, so the result was no surprise. The final margin of victory was shocking. I mean, 34 points over a team that the previous day had been ranked in the top yeah. 25. Um, you just don't see that very often. Um, it was the fewest points UVA had scored on Virginia Tech since a month after Pearl Harbor. So my grandfather was astute, was in the Corps of Cadets at Virginia Tech then, and I'm sitting there finding myself, huh, I wonder if he went to that game in 1942. <laughs> War Memorial Coliseum or War Memorial Gym or wherever they played back then. So it was just one of those games that uh, that you'll always remember just just for that reason, the margin of, of victory. Um, so when you look back, when people find ways to think about this season ten years from now, fifteen years from now, they're going to say, yeah, team, you know, probably not going to make the NCAA tournaments. So they're going to say, yeah, that wasn't an NCAA tournament team, but man, that game against UVA, that's one I'll always remember.
2: I think it was early in the second half. They opened up like a 27-point lead, and I'm like – I tweeted out. I'm like, is it one minute into the second half too early to say game over on this one? (laughs) And as it turned out, it wasn't because I I think they scored over their 42nd point uh, at that point. So, you know, UVA just never uh, scored enough points to even get back in that game. I thought – uh, you know, I covered two games this week. Remarkably, with basketball, this <laughs> long drought is over with, and uh, the whiplash of going defensively—how they played against North Carolina and how they played against UVA—and I know these are two vastly different teams offensively. And uh, UNC is extremely capable, especially in the front court, of, of lighting it up. And UVA goes ten minutes without scoring frequently. I mean, scoring in the forties is not unusual. They they scored forty nine against Wake Forest and won. Earlier in the week. So, you know, yeah. this is not, you know, foreign territory for them to be in the 40s like this, but uh, the way tech defense uh, defended and, uh, you know, Mike Young called them connected after the game defensively and they were active and they were jumping into passing lanes and contesting every shot around the basket. I thought it was pretty remarkable. Because they struggled so much at UNC, and you know part of that is just the size factor. They got into the foul trouble from like the opening tip, and it was just an uphill battle the entire time. And what, that one gave up their most points all season, 96, and then turn around two days later, give up their fewest points with 41 against UVA. I thought, I thought that was a pretty uh, impressive turnaround because you, you have a short amount of time to do that.
1: What did you think, David? What were your uh, biggest takeaways from the win?
4: The, the biggest difference, and I think the most important part of the game was it started from the opening tip. Virginia Tech first possession goes down to Lynn Kidd inside. and Lynn Kidd and and Malajra Poteet, specifically Kid, did not have a good game against UVA in JPJ. Jordan Minor dominated that matchup. He's not a guy that that had, had really done a lot for UVA all season up to that point. And Jordan Miner had, like, 16 points.
1: 16 and 5, yeah.
4: And he was really good defensively. That came after Lynn Kidd had an 8-for-8 eight eight performance against Miami for 16 points the game prior. And Lynn Kidd and Virginia Tech go to Virginia, and Kidd is just stonewalled. He couldn't do anything. And Tech defensively in that game, on the interior, was not good at all. Moajel Petit was better um, but there were too many times where UVA's little two-man game where they dribble in, try to make a little pocket passes down low, or just run like a simple pick-and-roll action. The Hokies hedged it wrong or, or hedged it too much or what whatever. They struggled to defend the ball screens. UVA got downhill. Uh, Miner probably should have had like 25 points. He missed a bunch of layups, and this time around, First possession, Virginia Tech goes inside to Lynn Kid. Kidd backs down Miner, scores. Second possession, or third possession, Miner picks up a foul. Miner had two fouls, I want to say twelve minutes, less than 12 minutes into the game. Uh, he only played like 15 minutes, if that, due to foul trouble. Tech took that aspect out of the game. The other two guys at, at, at that spot for UVA, Blake, Blake Buchanan and uh, uh, Jacob Groves, those guys as a trio – those two and, and uh, minor combined for 30 points in that game at UVA. And I don't think they scored more than 10 this time around. And meanwhile, Lynn Kidd and Mawajah Poteet both scored close to 30 themselves, just the two of them. So um, Virginia Tech won that matchup on the inside. I thought overall Tech played a really good, clean basketball game, and it helps when you can rip off a 20 nothing run uh, just out of the blue. Starting on the defensive end, I thought Tech – got its hands in the in the right places in the passing lanes tipping passes making it really really difficult for uva forcing tough shots and this is not a great offensive team but tech made it really difficult but on the other end that was where tech really struggled in jpj i thought tech was okay defensively in that game in moments um but it it lost that battle on the inside. Mike Young said after the game, we have to win that battle. And tech did this time around. And you know, it helps yes when Tyler Nickel and Robbie Barron, those guys are, are scoring a lot of points, Hunter Kator, and Sean Padula, neither of them scored in double figures. But when Melajo Potit and Lin are dominating like that, where you can just go inside and go inside and go inside, it makes all the difference.
1: Okay. I wanted to go ahead and now take this bigger picture um, after that awesome win against UVA and take a look at the ACC tournament bracket up to this point. So Nick's going to pull that up for us. By the way, I don't think we shouted him out in our open, but uh, the Mustache Man is your producer today, Nick. I am so terribly sorry, my friend. But uh, if you can take a look here, here's your ACC tournament bracket. David, kind of kind of break it down for us a little bit here.
4: Yeah, Virginia Tech <laughs> is on the 10 line right now. And that means right now they're playing on Tuesday. Uh, uh Andy had a Andy made a good point before uh before we walked in that if if Tech ends up getting on uh getting a Wednesday game that means the Hokies would potentially would, would probably wind up playing North Carolina in that 8-9 game um unless they go on a, on a run here and um it, the, again the season's is not over Virginia Tech has opportunities to do something and um you know I think after what Wake Forest did to Pitt on Tuesday night, and what Virginia Tech did to uh, Virginia on Monday night. I think Tech fans probably feel a little bit more confident about that game on Saturday in Pittsburgh. Um, if Tech can string some wins together, that will be really good. But the problem is, you don't want to. Uh, that North Carolina game is is going to be insanely difficult. That eight nine game. That's that that first game in the tournament uh, on Wednesday. Um, right now, Tech is you know had Syracuse lost last night, Tech would have been. In the on the nine line against Clemson, yes, and and now Tech is Tech because Syracuse beat NC State, gutted that one out in Raleigh. Tech stays at the ten on the ten line. You don't necessarily want to play on Tuesday if you're looking for a number of wins that might help, um, but that is that is a tougher path. But um, but yeah, the, that's you've got the turn, there's a tournament bracket for you just to give you kind of a, a snapshot of of what this looks like when the Hokies went and won the tournament, they were a seven seed. To tell you, just to, to give you some context there. So I, I think Texan, it, Tex gotta win games. That's the bottom line. Um, Wake Forest, you know, it's funny, Wake Forest still does not have a quadrant one win. Which is uh, crazy. Which is crazy. Wake Forest jumped up f- like 15 spots. I, th-
0: I think they've got one now. When I looked at it this morning, somebody they beat earlier is now yeah, well, yeah so, so they're like one in so, six.
4: So up up yeah, so Wake Wake hadn't necessarily won that one. Virginia remember Virginia Tech has Wake Forest at <coughs> home, and um, Wake can't play on the road. Yeah,
1: so that's a quad one opportunity for Wake at this point. Yeah, quad and, one opportunity for us, and right? it,
4: and it would be a quadrant one. for tech. If Wake stays there now. It's another quadrant one opportunity for Tech, and I. You look big picture. Virginia Tech is. The metrics like Tech. Metrics, metrics loved Tech. They're after better than
0: UVA in, in all the computer numbers except for net.
4: And Virginia and that's is only like spot is different. De- is in third place in the conference, right? So that t- like the metrics like Tech, but Tech just doesn't have like needs maybe one or two more quality wins and and missed out on those opportunities like we've touched on before. But now it's just number of wins, and if if Tech can get on a little bit of a hot streak, play like – I don't expect it to play like it did against UVA every game, but but like Andy touched on, that defensive effort, you, you need that. And I think one through five plus the bench, the Hokies did a really good job on the defensive end in that game, probably better than they have all year. And, again, I know holding UVA to 41 is like – that, that's impressive, even for UVA's low-scoring standards, but they are—they need to use that and play with that same kind of energy and toughness going forward. That's what Robbie Barron talked about, the toughness, the the physicality. And, and Tech didn't have that against North Carolina, and Tech had that against Virginia.
0: They definitely wanted to win the game more than Virginia. You, you could see that from the first row of the student section. Uh, right now, Tech would be playing Louisville in their first game obviously a very winnable game uh if they get past that game they'd as of right now would be playing florida state which is also a very incredibly winnable, winnable game. Yeah. Or, right right so then you would face duke and and you know who would coming off a double buy and things like that um so like if if tech got up to the eight nine game or or, or even the seven game you know you'd play you'd get a buy you'd get a single buy Unless, say, so you won your first game and then you're either playing Duke or UNC in the, in the second round, uh, which is probably a loss. Or they stay on the 10 line and win two games. Uh, but then, you know, you run into North Carolina or, or Duke again. So, look, I'm not even thinking about it in terms of, like, NCAA tournament or anything like that. I'm just trying to hopefully win as many games as possible down the stretch uh, and just enjoy it. Uh, you got Pitt this weekend. You know, Pitt is uh, this. This league is congested. So right now, there are four and four ACC teams projected to make the field: Duke, UNC, Clemson, and UVA. Clemson is the third best team in the ACC by all the metrics. Yet they're, they're right now would only be the eighth seed in the ACC tournament. That's how congested this league is in the standings. Between honestly, even back to Boston College and eleventh, I, I think. Um, you know, they could potentially move up a, a few spots. So, I, I, and right now, the number three seed is Virginia, but they don't look, they don't look as good as those other teams, not to be honest with you. I mean, they did beat Clemson, but like they're not as good as Clemson as far as all the numbers go. Um, so, this is, you know, you see the screenshot of, of what it looks like right now, but a lot of this is going to change just simply because there's so much congestion. In those spots anywhere from, uh, you know, probably fourth all the way back to 11th. Well,
2: you, you look at it, five to 10 is separated by one game. Yeah. And you got Pitt, NC State, Florida State, eight and seven, Clemson, Syracuse, uh, 500 in the, the conference, then the Hokies at seven and eight. And you know, Tech playing Wake Forest and Pitt coming up. You you know, you win a couple of those games, you can move up four or five spots in the seeding, and tech that could technically get a double bye. I mean, that's a yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a world of difference when you look at where it is in this bracket. So I don't know if we you know, still a couple weeks out of this thing, if we can go. Well, here's their path if they go through this. I think that's going to change a lot with the jockeying that you have on this. Uh, you know, the bottom line is if they want to have any kind of. Hope for a postseason. And, you know, you still think in the NCAA terms, I wouldn't count them out yet, but they pretty much have to win out mm-hmm. in regular season just to put themselves in the conversation. And even that, I don't know if it's enough quality wins there uh, overall to, to boost their resume that much. But, you know, this is sort of last stand time for this team. And, you know, Pitt, Syracuse, Wake Forest, those are three. Middle-of-the-pack ACC teams, borderline NCAA, I don't think any of them are projected in the field at this point, but you, those are the teams you have to beat if you want to be able to even be considered for
0: it. One note I want to bring up about the NIT. Now, It used to be that the NIT it was tough for Power 5 major conference teams to make because if you won your conference regular season title, you were guaranteed a spot in the NIT. So let's say Radford won their conference and then – got knocked out in their conference tournament, got upset. They were guaranteed a spot in the NIT that knocks a power five team out of the NIT. That's not the case anymore. Uh, The the top six leagues, which is the power five teams or power five leagues, plus the big East, uh, they're guaranteed two spots, automatic bids to the NIT. The top two net teams from each one of those leagues that do not make the NCAA tournament automatically go to the NIT. And right now I think Tech would be third there. But if either if either Wake Forest or uh, Pitt make the NCAA tournament, that would most likely mean Virginia Tech automatically qualifies for a spot in the NIT. So I want to throw that do out Do they
2: there. really need to make that change? Or are they like, ah, oh, these regular season small conference champions that lose in the tournament – they're getting too much of a free ride here at <laughs> the NIT. We need to make it tougher for them. Like that's the beauty of the postseason and the NCAA is it brings everybody together. And it's not just a bunch of mediocre power five, power six teams, Playing each other all the time. I don't know if they need to make that change. It's the NIT. I don't know. if sure I believe in automatic qualifiers. No matter yeah, how Yeah, they, they tried it. to formalize just, it a lot more. Yeah. Than it used to it used to be like they just would like release the the, the matchups like late at night. And it's like who's the home well, team in this game? And you if don't they even win, know they
0: play who. Like, you don't even know if right. If you win your first game, you don't
2: know when your second game is going to be or that's what how they should it do it they should not have a bracket they should just have the first round matchups and then you know whoever wins they put all the names to a big tumbler and they roll it and they pull out the matchups yeah. i would watch the heck out if you were one of the teams you would watch that to see how the draw is going to be, It'd be like soccer yeah yeah Would definitely be interesting. Drum up some interest for it here, guys. Be showman about this whole thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) David mentioned earlier how Tex men's team was playing fantastic defense. Well, there's another team in Blacksburg playing outstanding defense. Courtney Banghart might not agree, but Virginia Tech's got a big one coming up against the Tar Heels on Sunday inside Castle Coliseum. First, though, David. I mean, we've, we've talked about it for weeks now. Almost at exhaustion, it doesn't get old, though. This team is red hot, and they showed that with a big win in the KFC Yum Center over Louisville.
4: Yeah, I, I think Virginia Tech really did everything right in that game. Uh, Tech shot 71% through three quarters. I don't think I've ever really seen that in a game before, especially like of two teams of this magnitude. Louisville was the number 18 team in the country. Tech was 12th. And the Hokies came out and, and steamrolled Louisville. And not in the way that Virginia Tech destroyed Virginia on the men's side, but more of a Tech made shots and made shots and made shots and made shots. And it got to the point where Louisville couldn't make enough shots to keep up. And that is a the nth different way Virginia Tech has won a game this year. Tech is finding all of these different ways to win whether it's through defense, whether it's without Elizabeth Kittley scoring, whether it's with Elizabeth Kittley and Georgia Amor leading the charge, just the two of them, whether it's the whole team shooting really well. um, That was the case on on Sunday against Louisville. And Virginia Tech, one of the hottest teams in the country, nine straight wins. That was a big one. Um, Kenny Brooks talked after the game in his press conference that the one place Virginia Tech had not won in the ACC under him was at Louisville. Louisville is the staple of the ACC. NC State and Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame has, has a national championship in the last 10 years. Um, NC and, and State obviously won a couple of ACC, ACC titles in a row. Louisville has been the team for the last 17 years since Jeff Walls took over that has been consistently good. Every year, It year in, year out, you know it. Louisville is going to be good now obviously they were in the Big East for a little bit then um, at the beginning but that was the one place Kenny Brooks and his team had not won and they walked into Louisville and won and that was Louisville's first home loss of the year and Will Stewart tweeted a stat and I think it got a lot of traction on Twitter you know Louisville and Syracuse and NC State are combined like 39-0 39-0 and at home this year, except when they play Virginia Tech in their own three. And Tech has, that's four straight week in a row where Tech has gone on the road and beaten a ranked team. And beat Syracuse, it beat North Carolina, it beat NC State, now it beat Louisville. It has Notre Dame next week after it hosts North Carolina on Sunday. This team is, is just on a roll, and I think it's such a business like approach, and that's what I think I'm most impressed with. It's we get there, sit down, play the game, talk to the media, leave. No, you know, like, yeah, maybe a, a, a five to 10-minute celebration. Cool, we're done. Well, we got work to do, right? Like, they they just understand that they are they have bigger goals than going on the road and, and winning and beating a top 25 team, which is saying a lot because, like, for some teams, and this is not me, like, picking on anybody else in the league, but, like... I think about a Virginia team who is having an up-and-down year, Coach Mock's second season. If, if Virginia goes and beats Florida State on the road, I'm sure those celebrations are going to be crazy. Virginia Tech beats, or sorry, Virginia beats Louisville on the road, right? You, you win a, a top 25 game on the road in a place nobody's won all year. But Virginia Tech has been there before, and the players understand that. And again, the goals are loftier than that. The goals are, as such, where college game day is venturing to Blacksburg this weekend, right? Like Virginia Tech is on that stage now, which is crazy to think about. But when you talk to Georgia Amore and Elizabeth Kitley, and they just take this this business like approach, where they're like, you know, we 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 know we have a we have a goal we set out to do. We want to win the ACC. We want to win the ACC tournament. We want to get back to a Final Four, and they're well on their way. To do that, and they're playing their best basketball right now, and I think very similar to last year, they're they're in the right spot, and, and this time around they're in first place in the ACC instead of you know trying to vie for second place.
0: I don't have anything to add to that. Uh, I think you're dead on about each one of those road games. Like they are big games. Don't get me wrong, and we sh- should be happy with them. But as far as the team, and the team's happy with them, but at the same time, as far as the team is concerned, the that Louisville game wasn't really it wasn't about the Louisville game beating Louisville on the road is just a means to an end right um it's it's just a it's a workmanlike uh businesslike approach uh that's all i have to say now are we talking about game day now Yeah, well, yeah.
2: i okay. i i just wanted to add like david touched on it. it's remarkable how much this mirrors last season where they just sort of kicked it into overdrive at the end of the year and I remember on, on this podcast a couple weeks ago Uh, When I was looking at their schedule and all the ranked teams that they're playing on, I'm like, well, there's no way they run the table the rest of the season. If they do that, they will be a one seed for sure in the tournament. It's like, well, they might run the table on the rest of the season. And North Carolina, Notre Dame, Virginia left. They very well could win all three of those. Um, If you do that, you sweep through the ACC tournament, which I wouldn't put out of the realm of possibility right now. I mean that you know they've I guess they've had trouble getting some traction in the rankings still behind a team that they've beaten two times uh in the national rankings I don't know how that would play out uh bracketology wise Stir that pot Mr. But yeah well, I just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but you <laughs> know we'll see at the end of the year if you're talking about a team that you know would have won I guess it would be 15 straight if they run the table all the way through the ACC tournament And our ACC champions, regular season and tournament again. I mean, that's you got to give them serious consideration about being a one seed. Oh, they'd be a one seed for sure. I would think. Uh, But you know, we'll see how it plays out. But they're certainly surging right now, and and surging at the right time of the year.
1: All right. Well, Virginia Tech is one of three schools to host game day in women's basketball, men's basketball, and football. Shout out to Chris for this. The other two schools are LSU and Tennessee. That's pretty uh, elite company right there. Chris, can you just speak to how? big this is not only for the program but for the school to have college game day come i mean it it just puts you in a different echelon
0: yeah um biggest game biggest day not biggest day because of the final four last year but biggest game in the history biggest home game in the history of the program i would say not because of the game i mean tech is the nc state game earlier this year was a bigger individual game right but because game day is here you know it, it puts you on the map per se, just like like the 1999 Syracuse game in football. Virginia Tech has played bigger home games than that, but for that point in time, it was probably the biggest home game Virginia Tech had ever played just simply because game day was there and it put the program on the map for the first time. Um, this team wa- made the Final Four last year, which put it on the map, But but I think when something significant like this, Final Four last year and now game day this year, um, you know, you're going to lose Elizabeth Kitley and, and you you might lose George A. Moore also but uh, it, I, I think you can go, Kenny Brooks can go into living rooms and schools and say look we have a really stable program and this if you come to Virginia Tech this is the type of things you, you can expect. Uh, very very good program but still a program that is still in its growing stages I, I would say and if they can take advantage of all this exposure they can go on to become a really you know, long-term consistent program.
4: I I think it's, I think it, uh, when you put in perspective of who has hosted college game day for women's basketball, it's not like football where all but four or five power five schools have hosted. It's not like college basketball where it, it, it kicks up, you know, once, uh, once the football season's over and it goes to a handful of programs at the end of the year, like they only do five shows a year and they're choosing one and two or three live, I think three live ones and and two in studio in Bristol.
0: They aren't reaching like sometimes you see in football, right?
4: Yeah, Where are we going this week? They, they are, they are serious about this. Like, like this is, this is like Chris said, I think the most Sunday will be like the, the biggest exposure day Virginia Tech women's basketball has ever had. The game is only on the ACC network, but it's Castle Coliseum, Virginia Tech, going to be on ESPN for an hour. The other schools that have hosted, UConn, UConn hosted the first women's game, U, women's game day back in 2010 when it was in the midst of its 99 home game winning streak. Tennessee hosted a doubleheader with the men's Bruce Pearl was head coach at the time that was when Pat Summit was the head coach then game day kind of went on a hiatus they did not do a lot of women's game day shows the sport has grown so much that in 2022 they brought it back they went to South Carolina they went to South Carolina last week so South Carolina's hosted twice Tennessee hosted again in 2023 and I believe Iowa hosted last year along with the SEC tournament so that's a a site that hosted, not a school. And then LSU hosted earlier this year. So Virginia Tech joins UConn, Tennessee, South Carolina, Iowa, and LSU as teams that have hosted. You are in an elite group of programs there. Like, first ACC school to do so. They're not going to NC State. They're not going to Chapel Hill. They're not going to Durham. They're not going to, to Notre Dame or Syracuse. They're coming to Blacksburg. And that tells you where Virginia Tech is in terms of the national landscape of women's college basketball. Virginia Tech might not be recruiting McDonald's All-Americans. That doesn't mean that Tech's not building a good program. Like Tech is, like like you said, Chris, it's, it's stable. I, I thought Jeff Walls, who is great friends with Kenny Brooks, the Louisville head coach, had a great quote about it after the game. He's like, there are a lot of times where coach comes in, has success, and then you see a fall off. He's like, I know there's not going to be any fall off with Virginia Tech. And th- this th- game, college game day will prove it. Yes, Georgia Amor and Kayla King and Elizabeth Kitley and Olivia Simeo will be gone after this year, but Virginia Tech has a bright future ahead. And I think this is, this is just the start. And for game day to come on senior day for all those kids, uh, I think I think it's going to be really special. Um Normally they would do it the women's game day an hour before the game, but they have LSU at Tennessee on Sunday at noon on ESPN. Tech plays at two, so they can't do game day uh, on ESPN at one o'clock. So it's at 11 a.m., which I think is better. You get the full you'll get the full atmosphere instead of having a little studio set in the corner. It'll be in midcourt in front of the Virginia Tech logo. I, I think this will be a, it'll be a great atmosphere, a great environment, and a great opportunity for Virginia Tech to kind of just showcase what it's about. And, you know, Castle, uh, college game days only come to Blacksburg for f- basketball once. And that was in 2011. And that was a, a program that had been up and down and, you know, looked like Tech was going to make the tournament under Seth Greenberg. But it's a little bit different for basketball for on the men's side. Like for the women, they only go to the elite programs and, they're coming to Virginia Tech, which I think tells you all you need to know.
1: Yeah, eleven to twelve uh, will be college game day inside Castle Coliseum. There's no need for tickets for that. Am I correct in saying so? Yes. Kind of a first come, first serve type of deal there. Uh, mm-hmm. Are they letting la- everybody that wants to get in in?
4: And- yeah, it's free.
1: All right, there we go. Um, and then tip off for that game is at two p.m. You'll have to exit then re-enter. Uh, of course, Chris, I wanted I wanted to ask you and Andy as well <clears throat> the importance of catching this this red-hot streak, finishing it out strong, and then maybe snagging that that last couple of one-seeds in the NCAA tournament just to avoid a, any kind of a buzzsaw um, and and have a little bit of a clearer path until you have to face a juggernaut till the <laughs> final four.
0: Yeah, those one-seeds and women's hoops are always really, really tough. You see fewer upsets there than you do on the men's side. So right now isn't what the main... Bracketologists have has Virginia Tech playing South Carolina. They're three the, seed in the South Carolina oh, in the, region. Right, right, right. which so is
2: not where you want to be. Not where I, you I want. That's what you want to avoid.
0: Yeah, exactly. So if you could get up to a number one seed, then I mean you're going to host no matter what, as long as you're a top four seed. Uh, but if you're a number one seed, that means you don't have to deal with another number one seed until until the uh, the final four, and I, I think that's critical. Um, so. It's funny. It was just a couple of weeks ago when, like you said, we were the Hokies were entering this tough stretch. And I said, yeah, you know, the next three or four weeks are going to decide whether they're a three, th- three seed or a six seed. I, now I think it's going to decide whether they're a one seed or a two seed.
2: And I think
0: that's what will ultimately happen.
2: Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it comes down to these tournaments all the time. You you want a you know, women's tournament. Historically, I think this is accurate. Pretty chalky. At the top, I mean, yeah. one seeds typically get pretty far in that, uh, probably more uh, consistently in, than on the men's side. Uh, you don't want to play South Carolina anytime soon in the <laughs> tournament. Uh, I'm guessing you would not want to play Caitlin Clark anytime soon in the tournament. If those teams are one seeds and you can also get up to one seed, then you're avoiding them in, in, until a possible potential matchup if you get as far as the final four. So uh, it's just sometimes it, it boils down to bracket luck, who you have. In your, in your region, and what you can do about that is you can avoid the very best as far as you can by getting the highest seed.
1: David, can you break down for us uh, the scenarios? Tech can actually clinch an ACC title uh, with a win over North Carolina if Syracuse loses to Duke and NC State loses to North Carolina on Thursday. That's correct, but regardless, if Tech were to win here and then win again against Notre Dame, then they could clinch a share as well.
4: Yeah, Tech has an opportunity to potentially... Win the ACC regular season on Sunday at home in Castle Coliseum with College Game Day in attendance. I think that would be pretty storybook.
1: With two uh, games left too. That's yeah. Pretty, pretty uh, wild.
4: Now, the way the way this works, it's you know again, it's all based on the number of potential wins a team can achieve. Right now, Virginia Tech could could get sixteen wins if it if it wins out. NC State and, and Syracuse are both there about 15. Louisville can get 14. Everybody else is below that at 13 or, or, or fewer, meaning if Virginia Tech wins wins one game, it's one step closer to that magical number. But if the next two teams that are right below Virginia Tech lose, well, the threshold just becomes, the margin becomes that much smaller. So, um, yes, I, I don't, and NC State and Syracuse are playing really good basketball right now. I don't expect either one of them to necessarily lose at Duke against Duke and North Carolina. But um, but regardless, if Virginia Tech takes care of business on Sunday against North Carolina, because um, it has Thursday off, it'll have an opportunity to go to Notre Dame no matter what. And with a win, it would clinch a share of the ACC regular season title. Now, it will be the one seed unless something crazy happens, because it owns the tiebreakers over everybody but florida state in the entire conference which is crazy to think about but tech has two losses and it avenged the one against duke um the top four teams like i mentioned syracuse nc state louisville well virginia tech beat all of them swept nc state and uh like i mentioned before you know they only have one home loss each and all of them are to virginia tech so um i think virginia tech is in a really really good spot and um it it's crazy because I, I don't think they don't actually like give an award, you know, they don't give anything for the ACC regular season title. I don't believe. Um you just get a one seed. Um you know, you're the ACC regular season champions, cool, but the tournament's what really really matters. Um but Virginia Tech is in good position in putting itself in the tournament too. Um one of the things people might not remember from from last year is Virginia Tech was the 3 seed because it was a game behind Notre Dame and it tied with Duke. And Duke beat Notre Dame, so Duke had the tiebreaker. Well, Virginia Tech, the three seed plays at night. And so, Tech was playing these these late games and one one night, Tech Tech played extremely late and then had to turn around and play at noon the next day. Or, or two o'clock the next day, right? It's like, if you play at, if you are, you are the number one seed, you play at 1.30, 1.30, and like, you play like 130, 12, and 12, whatever. Like you play, you play it's the play the three months. Yes. Like, thank you. That's a good way to say it. It's very, very simple, and that's what you get for, for being the top seed. Um, Virginia Tech is well on its way to doing that, and and Andy brought up the, the NCAA tournament conversation. Remember this. Virginia Tech was not a number one seed last year until it won the ACC tournament. There is a long way to go. Virginia Tech probably Virginia Tech has at least 3 games or sorry, at least 4 games, if not 5 or 6 games left in in between the end of the regular season the ACC tournament plenty of time to boost your resume because other teams will they'll stop their season. That's one of the the beauties of what Tech did last year. Was it went on this run and it went to the ACC tournament final and all these other teams lose or they they stop playing. So there're only so many teams that are raising or lowering their stock at that point. And Tech was one of the teams that raised it high enough. I mean, if Tech, if Tech, like Andy said, what when 15 would be at 15 games in a row, if it won through the ACC tournament, you got to put Tech on the one line. Um, you 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 have to. And Tech Tech would have four blemishes all year to four NCAA tournament teams. Um, you know, right now, I think South Carolina and Stanford are locked up for those top two, and then every the others are anybody else's game. Um, Colorado was a was a one seed projected last at the end of last week, and then lost. I think so. Like, it's all up in the air. It's all up for the taking. Pro- there's probably going to be a number one seed available, um, and Tech is putting itself in good position to to do that. Has North Carolina, Notre Dame, Virginia, and then. Who kind of knows? We we can talk about the AC tournament bracket, Geo, if you want. Yeah, um, let's
1: pop that up right now, Nick. Yeah, oh. Tech Tech nope, will. Never mind, we're not gonna pop it up right now.
4: Oh well. T- <laughs> anyway, t- Tech is Tech is the one seed, and you know, of course, gets the eight nine matchup. Now, what's crazy about how good the ACC is is that there's potential it will play a team like Duke or Notre Dame because that's how stacked the ACC is. That would be the eight eight seed.
0: Crazy that Notre Dame is the seven seed as of right now
4: and Notre Dame is a top 25 team in the country. Right, right. Like I, also, I don't want to play Duke. I'll play anybody yeah. but but Duke. So to you, know,
1: do you want because they make it messy. Yeah, they make yeah, messy. Yeah,
4: so it's it's going to be really interesting to see how these these last couple games play out. Virginia Tech is again a game a game ahead. And Virginia Tech is one. Syracuse is two. Tech is a game ahead of Syracuse, and at a game and a half ahead of NC State in third. Tech and Syracuse have played 15 games. Everybody else, I think, has played 14, um, or most everybody else. So Tech has has that big of a lead and fewer games to play. So that tells you kind of about how it's how it's locked it up. And um, that would be really cool if it had an opportunity to kind of clinch in Castle Coliseum in front of a, a sold out crowd on Senior Day. I mean, that's kind of. I like I said, fairy tale ending a little bit.
0: They would have to lose two of their last three to not be the number one seed, right? Yes, yeah, that's not going to happen.
1: Pretty awesome stuff uh, coming up on Sunday. Uh, well, also on Sunday, Virginia Tech baseball is going to be in action. So let's go ahead and, and, and flip the script here. I got to get over to softball shortly. So, yeah. but want to mention baseball two and one in the series uh, series against Charlotte in the season opener. Um, lost the Sunday game. Dominant wins on uh, both Friday and Saturday. Ten nothing on Friday. Ten to five on Saturday. Bats were hot. Pitching looked pretty good. Chris. Pitching was very good. Brett Renfro, those, the freshman. Yeah,
0: those first two games. Uh, Renfro, five innings, two base runners, no runs. Um, outstanding performance. Hopefully he can have a Drew Hackenberg-type freshman season. That that would go a long way. Uh, I still have questions about pitching depth, but I basically have questions about pitching depth every year about Virginia Tech baseball, and that's not a John Shep thing. That goes back for as long as I've been following it. Generally speaking, Tech's bats are good enough, But do they have the pitching depth? Uh, it's, It's a good start, you know, despite Sunday's game. I mean, Charlotte made the NCAA tournament last year.
1: And they, they upset Clemson they not and made it cle- to a regional final. They
0: knocked Clemson out of the NCAA tournament. They also beat Coastal Carolina, who's a perennial power. They beat South Carolina, yep. who was ranked in the top ten for most of the year. Um, so that's uh, Robert Woodard's their their coach. He's Virginia Tech's former pitching coach. Um, so uh, that, that was a good start to the season. I think when you win two out of three on the road against a team in recent history has been good. But uh, time will tell if the pitching uh, depth is there. Uh, if you watch enough baseball you know you know that there, there're plenty of uh Peaks and valleys throughout the course of the season, but I thought that was a good start.
1: They've got JMU tonight that's on the road in Harrisonburg. Then they got a home series coming up uh, against Rhode Island at English Field this weekend. Many people will be at hoops, but come on out Friday Rhode and Saturday. Rhode Island, the
0: old, the old Atlantic 10 rival.
1: Yes. Yeah. Bill was telling a story last night at dinner about uh, a, a, a tough one inside Castle when they were both in the A-10 in basketball. And yeah, Rhode I remember playing against, against Lamar Odom when he was a uh, – That was the one. At Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. Well, softball's in action as well. They're 7-2-1 and uh, on this season. The big storyline here is that Rachel Castine is out. Uh, she was hit by a pitch a couple of games back. They were without her their last outing, uh, and they're going to be without her uh, for some time. And just to put that kind of into the big picture here, Rachel Castine, one of the best bats in the ACC early on in the season. She was tied for fifth in the country with five home runs, uh, tied for the most home runs in the ACC. Was it two great? grand slams yeah yep two uh third in the country in rbi with 18 that was the most in the acc so i mean she was a really impressive bat uh, early on and what, a staple for tech what's
0: the tech record for grand slams in a season
1: that i do not know when
0: she hit two in her first how many games five five games yeah. she's on pace for whatever it is probably
1: <laughs> <laughs> well well, now she's gonna miss some time yeah so, yeah, so.
4: They, got a, they got a big weekend coming up i mean they're down in uh, athens georgia i believe georgia's a top five team in the country um I think, I think they, you know, they they had a couple uh, tough Saturday in when they were out in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Chip was out there and was writing up some stories for us. Um, yeah, I think I think they're still trying to, to find themselves a little bit, um, and they played some good teams out there. They lost to Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon went to the tournament last year. Um, the other team they lost to was Cal, and I believe Cal went to the tournament last year. Like these these teams that they lost to or no slouches at all. And, um, they've got opportunities to, to continue to beef up their, beef up their resume, obviously losing Castine for however long she's out that really hurts. And, um, but I, you know, who I've been impressed with is, uh, Lindsay grind. I think she's, she's been really, really good so far this year. Um, you know, everybody wants to talk about Emma Lemley because she's the one who's been here, um, for, for this is her third year, but, um, but Lindsay, you know, uh, I don't I don't think we spoke to her at media day, but um, you know, but but my conversations with Chip and Sam who cover softball for us, um, you know, she's she's really come on. She's come on strong and she pitched really well on, on Friday in that first or second game of, of the weekend down in Arizona. So
0: I envy the softball team with all their warm weather trips this time of year. Yeah. Maybe yeah. next season they'll accept a the tag along Sports Rider to cover all their games very closely.
1: There we go. There we go. Uh, Virginia Tech wrestling undefeated in ACC play. Massive meet on Friday in Raleigh against NC State. That decides the ACC regular season dual title. So that that's massive right there. It's pretty
0: there. typical. Virginia Tech versus NC State at the end of the season. Right? Yeah. I think we're uh, – I think the ACC is wise with their scheduling these days as far as who their top two wrestling You say players, that, so.
4: but they, that was the first meet of the season last that's year. That's right. It was, yeah. wasn't it? Um, yeah. But this In is yeah. This is big, like four 0 4-0. It all comes down to this. Jack Brisondon and Nick Brown will be down there uh, for TSL. I believe Nick's getting Nick's gonna shoot some video for us. Nice. Um, it, it all comes down to this. Like you, you want to win the ACC regular season title. You took care of business all year, and you get to go face your rival. Your your big wrestling rival, because I want to say. I don't know the actual numbers Jack mm-hmm. Brisendine would, but uh, I would say the last f- seven or eight ACC titles have pretty much come down. Yeah, since J- Nick says since 2014, every single ACC title has come down to either Virginia Tech or NC State. Who was the
0: last ACC team that not named Virginia Tech or NC State to uh, win? Probably title?
4: Pitt or Carolina, oh, but yeah, it's just um, it. This one matters, and Virginia Tech and uh, Virginia have had some great, great duels over the years and uh, i'm sure friday's gonna be really really good i'm excited to watch i think uh, i think it's gonna be really really fun um you know and there are a lot of seniors i'm sure for virginia tech that don't want to they want to go out with a win against north carolina because here's the thing had had pit uh, tech lost to pit like it did last year tech could only clinch a share but this one is it's for all the marbles there's no sharing involved it's it's either Tex or nc states so it's gonna be really fun
1: yeah definitely something to keep an eye out for uh on friday anything else by the way chris chris canna um was pretty awesome on saturday he went four for four with two home runs yeah that was a pretty good five rbi pretty good on base percentage after that saturday he was 15 at 24 all time against charlotte because last year he had the walk off he had a uh, I want to say, like, a 5-for-5 five five day against Charlotte last year when they came here. So for whatever reason, when the 49ers and the Hokies face off, Chris Cannizzaro tees off. So. Yes, he does.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to monitor. Uh, we'll find out more about pitching depth Yeah. The you know as the course of the season goes on.
1: Yeah, awesome. All right, Andy, any final thoughts from you before we let everyone go? What's coming up on
2: TSL this week? Uh, football Fan Survey. Going to process those results, get that up on Thursday, I think it is. So... We'll see how outrageous the expectations are going to be for this team uh, from the fan base.
1: Looking forward to seeing that. All right. I think that concludes episode
2: 349
1: of the Tech Sideline podcast. For Nick Brown, for David Cunningham, for Andy Bitter, for Chris Coleman, I'm Giovanni Heater saying so long, and we'll see you next week.